Not too long ago, the parents that I saw in my office were concerned about the hookup culture and friends with benefits. They worried that their teen daughters might get pregnant or infected with herpes. Those were the good old days. Now the parents that I see are asking me for Xanax, for their panic attacks and insomnia. Their daughters want to grow beards and have their breasts removed. I am reporting to you from the front lines of the war on gender ideology. I am not a journalist, I am not an academic, and I am not part of a think tank. I am a medical doctor who's in the trenches, helping families with children who believe their bodies are terrible mistakes. Some of my patients wear tight elastic binders to flatten their developing breasts. They go through the day in pain, feeling lightheaded and short of breath. Many of my male patients shave their chests, arms, and legs to erase signs of masculinity. Forgive me for being graphic. One 15-year-old patient tapes his penis between his legs and pushes his testicles up into his inguinal canals. He does this to create a flat, feminine crotch. My patients have gender dysphoria. They are dissociated from their bodies. They have trauma, depression, anxiety, autism, eating disorders, and other mental health problems. Their suffering is intense, and they are convinced that relief will come only from testosterone shots, estrogen patches, and a surgeon's scalpel. Their parents' worry and anguish cannot be described. I've been asked to speak today about how gender ideology is a medical experiment on our children. To be more precise, the actual experiment is gender-affirming care that the American Psychiatric Association and our Health and Human Services tells me I must provide. It's an experiment because instead of psychotherapy that slowly and gently explores a child's difficulties and provides emotional healing, it calls for interference with normal development, followed by permanent and drastic alteration of her healthy body. There is no high-quality evidence that gender-affirming care leads to long-term positive outcomes or decreased suicides, while there is conclusive evidence of serious harm and lifelong suffering. Gender-affirming care calls for unquestioning acceptance of a child's chosen identity, even though that identity contradicts reality. It means placing the child in the driver's seat, no matter how young or troubled he may be, allowing him to pick his name, 
his pronouns, his clothing, and his bathroom. This is all called social transition. Likewise, decisions to block puberty, to take cross-sex hormones, and undergo surgery are based on the child's or teenager's wishes. That is not practicing medicine. That is rubber stamping a child's self-diagnosis. Gender-affirming care is centered on two assumptions. First, that regarding gender, children and adolescents know best who they are and what they need. And second, that it is possible to be born in the wrong body. These beliefs have not been proven. There is no evidence that they are legitimate. Nevertheless, for the past 10 years, affirming care has been widely accepted in the U.S. as the first-line treatment for gender dysphoria. This would not be accepted in any other area of medicine. Recently, Joe Biden and his Assistant Secretary of Health, Dr. Levine, advised parents that early hormone and surgical treatments are crucial for their gender-confused children. I very much doubt, however, that either the President or Dr. Levine realize that the foundation for the treatments they call crucial is a single study of only 55 subjects. Gender-affirming care is based on one small case study, a study that many authorities consider problematic. This is a complicated subject, but here's what you need to know. Until the 90s, gender transition was only performed on adults, mostly on men in their 30s and 40s. The cosmetic results were not good because they'd already gone through puberty and they looked masculine. After transition, their mental health was poor and suicide rates were high. A team of Dutch researchers thought if they could intervene before puberty and prevent masculinization, these individuals would be able to pass as women and their mental health would improve. So they very carefully, key word, carefully picked a group of kids who they thought were likely to identify as transgender for the rest of their lives. They only chose kids who had severe gender dysphoria since childhood, and they couldn't have any serious mental health issues. And they were very strict about this. At age 12, puberty was blocked. At 16, either estrogen or testosterone were given to simulate the, pro the puberty of the opposite sex. And then at 18, surgery was available. This is called the Dutch protocol. Many find it problematic for different reasons, but let's just put that aside. Let's just say that one and a half years after surgery, patients reported that their dysphoria was decreased. Okay, sounds good at first glance, so why not use the Dutch protocol today on all the kids that are flooding our offices with gender dysphoria? Here's why. Right now, 
nearly all the kids that are being seen are victims of a social contagion called rapid onset gender dysphoria. They develop their symptoms as adolescents, not children. And the creation of their new identities is fueled by friends, pornography, and influencers on the internet. Most of them are girls with other psychiatric diagnoses. These kids would all have been disqualified from the Dutch study because the protocol excluded kids whose dysphoria developed later in adolescence and those who had significant mental health issues. The young people at today's gender clinics and hospitals are a completely different group of children. It's like two people who complain of knee pain. One fell and the other has arthritis. They have the same symptom, knee pain. Do we treat them the same way? Obviously not. Not only that, but the Dutch discouraged social transition. Gender-affirming care supports socially transition at very early ages, even in three- and four-year-olds. Medical interventions in the United States are available earlier than in the Dutch study. Kids can get puberty blockers as young as age eight, and they can get cross-sex hormones at 14. And surgery, well, who knows? It's the Wild West. Some surgeons say that they have no lower age limit. And we know that at Children's Hospital in Los Angeles, a 13-year-old breasts were removed. The Dutch provided extensive mental health support for these kids and their families. Whereas now, at Planned Parenthood and other places, prescriptions are handed out for hormones after one short meeting and there's no mental health evaluation whatsoever. These concerns have been raised by the Dutch researchers themselves. Those researchers that the, the protocol, the Dutch protocol, that was their invention. And they have said, what are you doing? Why are you adopting our model to this new presentation of gender dysphoria? We need more research about this new population. They are different. The same caution is urged by medical authorities in Britain, Sweden, Finland, France, Holland, Belgium, Australia, and New Zealand. They studied the data, and they concluded that the research is very low quality. For example, concerning puberty blockers, the editor-in-chief of the Brit British Medical Journal, who is also director of the Center of Evidence-Based Medicine at Oxford University, said, the quality of evidence in this area is terrible. So in those countries that I mentioned, medical interventions on minors have either been sharp, sharply curtailed or the groups are being, are, they're urging great caution. And they're saying, take care of mental health issues first. Regarding hormones and surgeries, there's no evidence of long-term benefit, but there is a high risk of damage. Let me turn for a minute to the damage of the experiment called gender-affirming care. While there are people who are pleased, for some, the damage of cat is catastrophic. The list of possible medical problems 
from blockers, cross-sex hormones, and surgeries is extensive. I couldn't possibly discuss all of them in these few minutes. A few areas of concern, bone density, heart attacks, blood clots, strokes, early menopause, sexual dysfunction, infertility, effects on brain development, and that's only from hormones. We didn't even get to the surgeries. Now, regarding the surgeries, for a while, I actually considered displaying for you a stream of photos, there's so many of them available, of girls 14, 15 years old with fresh mastectomy scars on their chests, or even worse, the so-called bottom surgeries, a euphemism, of course, for castration, followed by construction of what's called a neo-vagina, which is, of course, not at all a vagina, and the genital surgeries done on women who want to appear as men. These surgeries come with an alarming rate of complications, some of them very painful, dangerous, and debilitating. A nightmare, hideous. So I had this, I imagined having these big screens and showing these horrific pictures to you, but the room is not set up for that, so consider yourselves lucky. <laughs> they are images that you would not easily forget. So instead, no pictures, but I am going to read to you the harrowing words of a woman who lived as a man for eight years before returning to her female identity. She is what's called a detransitioner. She transitioned, and then she decided that she would like to go back to living as a woman. These are the people we must listen to and we must learn from their experiences. So I'm going to read to you an edited YouTube testimony of one woman. Her name is Jalisa, and I'd guess that she's in her 20s. She doesn't mention being on blockers, but it's clear from her low voice that she took testosterone. She started medical transition at age 18. She underwent a series of so-called gender-affirming surgeries. She had a bilateral mastectomy. She had removal of her uterus and ovaries. The walls of her vagina were sewn together. And then her surgeon took the skin and soft tissue of her forearm and constructed a faux penis and testicles. After surgery, she became addicted to pain medications. Now it's years later. And this is what she wants the world to know. How do I love myself again? How do I feel connected to myself again? I don't know what happened to me, and I'm just so angry. I'm so sad, and I don't know how this happened. Something infected me, a virus or something. It happened so quickly. If I just would have waited, she's crying here. If I just would have waited and let myself heal. I can't have kids. I'm left to accept the scraps of the life I could have had. I could have had a full life that now I need to mourn. I was young, I was sad, I was impressionable, and I thought this would fix everything. It's just so bad, it sucks so bad. It's just something I'll have to live with. There's no fixing it. There's no making it better. I don't see a path, a way to go forward. 
My body feels so foreign. It's hard to look at and accept that it's mine. As a woman who thought she was trans, I went all the way, as far as one can go. And then I woke up and realized that I made the biggest effing mistake of my life. There was a reason it took so long to detransition. It was to avoid the unavoidable. All of this mourning, this pain, this loss, this wreckage that I now have to sit with and figure out. I'm constantly asking, how did this happen to me? This woman is a victim of the medical experiment called gender-affirming care. Her suffering was 100% avoidable. And she says, if I just would have waited, if I just would have waited and let myself heal. Yes, yes, exactly. That's the proper treatment, waiting and healing, healing from emotional wounds. And if you think her story is unusual, I suggest you go to Twitter, hashtag DTrans, many other hashtags, and go to Reddit for DTrans. You have 38,000 people on there. 38,000 people telling their stories. As a doctor, I've seen catastrophic loss and suffering due to illnesses like cancer and schizophrenia. I can live with that. Gender ideology also leads to catastrophic suffering, but it is man-made. Teaching children to deny biology is man-made telling them they get to choose if they're a girl or a boy, or both or neither, because they may have been incorrectly assigned an identity at birth, that's a man-made idea. Making dangerous hormones and surgeries available without proper mental health evaluation and treatment, turning this into a civil rights issue, silencing and intimidating detransitioners and doctors like me, who believe our patients will improve through waiting and healing. That approach is now deemed unethical. All that is man-made. I cannot accept it, and neither should you. Thank you.